Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Today we have on Racket Lawn player Duncan Stahl, who is a current world ranking number nine, uh, best world ranking number seven. He's also sponsored by Caracol, the brand. His sporting endeavours so far, he's a winner of the Team World Championship with Great Britain and Germany in 2019. He's a winner of 12 titles in FIR World Tour. 40 plus world champion in 2018, three times winner of the British Racketlon Championships, two times runner up of the British Racketlon Championships, and a winner of 19 UK Tour titles. A sporting background, he's a, been a GB Junior Tennis Squad player until 13 years old. He was a Surrey County Junior Squash player, a Middlesex League Team Squash Division 1 player for over 10 years. And Duncan only started playing table tennis and badminton competitively when he, at the age of 33. He spent much, he's also spent much more time training these two sports than anything else. And his training approximately in a week equates to 15 hours a week. And a quote that Duncan has said through his experiences with, with racket lawn and racket sports is that racket lawn tests your ability to learn new skills, new techniques, and to acquire new physical attributes. And with every point in every set, counting towards your overall match score, it's a huge mental test. Welcome to the show, Duncan. Thanks for the extended intro. Absolutely. Not a problem. Um, so how we're going to begin today then, Duncan, is just kind of get into how your journey began in racket sports yeah. um, from a young age and from where to where you are now and how you feel about that. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I grew up in a household. My dad was a very good squash player um, and actually when I was growing up when I was very young he was he used to be the manager of the England squash team um, okay. for, for about sort of 15 20 years or so so I'd always had sort of squash was around and I was near squash courts and that sort of stuff although actually the first sport I really played was tennis um, and dad never really pushed me onto a squash court and actually I was played much more tennis when I was younger and so I played Lots and lots of tennis until I was about 12 or 13 to quite a good sort of junior level. Um, and then actually I probably was a victim of a, of a sort of a poor coaching setup on the sort of on the national level, along with a lot of other players around that sort of time. And by the okay. time I was 12 or 13, I was pretty bored of tennis. And so just gave just just gave it up. And then squash was then the, the natural next thing to try. So I then played squash since from that moment on. Um, and yeah, again, played to a reasonably, reasonably high level. Um, and then really, when when I discovered racket long, that's when I first started picking up a table tennis bat and a, and a badminton racket. Um, and so as you said in your intro, that's when I first started playing racket on the training I was doing was, was really based around those two sports um, to sort of complement where I'd already got to in, in squash and tennis. Um, yeah. But I'd always, I never got to, I never got to a point, and this is really probably fairly true with a lot of racket on players. I never got to the point where I, I was, I was good enough to take any, any of those, well, particularly squash or tennis, take them serious enough to sort of go professional and do it as a living. Yeah. Um, but and, but I got to a good level, um, and so it was racket on just seemed seemed a very good fit for me because I'd always taken to racket sports quite naturally and quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and and I've always enjoyed them as well. Yeah. So 
kind of sticking with uh, those things you just chatted about there, in regards to any of those sports that you play, was there any you found you had the natural talent and or was there any you found you had to put a lot more effort into in regards to the sports? Um, well, without wanting to get into a lengthy chat about the significance of natural talent versus yeah, versus yeah. Um, effort. versus versus effort and practice. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I kind of I played. I picked when I first started playing racket. I'd obviously had many more hours on court on a squash yeah. court and a, t- and a tennis court. Yeah. Um, so therefore, badminton and table tennis was what I had, I had to learn those much quicker and yeah. in, a, in a lot more intense way. Yeah. And so I would, I would try and play. Um, I would try and play. You know, several hours of of table tennis and badminton a few times a week um yeah and so those definitely came well, i don't know if for want of a better word less naturally but that's more yeah. because i just said spent less time on court um yeah i think i think table tennis as a sport is is is, is the most technical out of all of them okay um and that probably you probably there are certain things that you 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 know, you just have to learn how to read spin, how to impart spin, and the, and those sorts of things. You just can't. There's no shortcuts, really. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's probably the most technically dif- difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think badminton, I think badminton, squash, and tennis. You can all learn. There are elements of those three sports you can learn from each other, which can improve the other sports in in some ways. Yeah. Um, whereas table tennis is kind of on its own. In, 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 as, as far as that's concerned, um, okay. so yeah, so that that's I'd probably say table tennis is the hardest, and as and and squash and tennis I played I played the most, so that those are the ones that sort of came more naturally to me. Right, yeah, and 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 then with the squash and tennis and the badminton, you said that you can that essentially there's transferable skills from each of those sports. Yeah. So what, for the viewers listening, what things did you find that were transferable in each of those sports that you could use in either of the sports? Um, there's quite a lot of there's there was quite a lot of movement foot well yeah more sort of movement in badminton. Um, there was there was definitely squash definitely helped that. Um, there obviously there are some movements in badminton which squash doesn't help, but the majority of movements. Like lunging and um, particularly moving forward, um, squash helps a lot uh, with your sort of speed and, and things like that with with badminton. So that that's definitely a, uh, an advantage. And I think having spoken to other 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 badminton who, people who played lots of badminton, then again their movement in badminton has helped them on the squash court as well. Adapt yeah. adapt to, adapt to squash quite quickly. Um, a few interesting things just with like sort of. Uh, some sort of deceptive shots in squash I've, I've I've developed as a result of playing badminton, particularly the ways 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 to use the use the wrist at the front of the court. Um, there are certain shots that I've developed whilst learning badminton, which I've then transferred to the squash court, which is kind of quite interesting because I've played squash for a long time. But there's definitely yeah. some some good things there. Um, and then the the other obvious transferable one between tennis and badminton is 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 playing. The ball over your head, so smash. Yeah. So, tennis players who've got who've got sort of a good smash um, can then transfer that to badminton, and likewise, badminton players can transfer. Make they often have quite a good serve in, in tennis yeah. because yeah. they're used to hitting the ball above above the head. Um, so, those are the sort of the obvious transferable skills. 
between those between those two sports. Yeah, and from your experience then, Duncan, would you say for the younger viewers listening that are just starting out in these sports, to try and play a mix of the sports and not focus, even if they're trying to say get to the professional level or just to, to be yeah. better at one sport, would you say they need to try all the sports to be able to get those transferable skills so it would develop their game a little bit quicker? Do you think? Yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a growing there's a growing uh, belief amongst sort of very sort of sort of well-informed coaches um, for sort of juniors who are trying to get, who are playing one of the sports that to try and keep them playing a variety of different sports up to a, up to a certain age. Um, yeah. Not, not only to avoid burnout, but actually more, it's more to do with, um, like you say, there's so many transferable skills um, that I think you can learn from the force, from all, from all those racket sports, which can help each of the others, both, both, Technically, but physically, but also physically, um, I think there was a quote from Roger Federer. Is either last year or the year before, when he was asked the same question you just asked about what one piece of advice you'd give a junior tennis player, and he, and he said, um, he said, just allow them to go and play squash and football, um, yeah. uh, because that's yeah. what that's what he did when he was growing up, um, yeah. and he and and he he thinks that it contributed to him having a much better sort of all round all round sort of physical literacy and sort yes. of um, where, and also he also thinks it's to do, he's how, well, how he stayed relatively injury free through yes. his career um, yes. because he had that sort of basis in a lot of different sports. Um, yes. So he had sort of, uh, uh, a resistance and a, and a strength that sort of kept him. To, and he can also see, you know, how he uses certain squash in, in his tennis as well. Yeah, definitely, uh, and, yeah. I, and I think also, just generally, it helps with your with your hands and your touch um, for all those sort of uncoachable moments where you get yourself into a position where yeah. your feet your feet aren't in the right position. You're yeah. playing your ball in a very awkward position. If you played lots of racket sports or lots of different sports, you just naturally seem to find a way to to play those more difficult shots. And that's yeah. that's what people say when they say that you've got good hands. It, that's generally what they you know what they what that's they're referring to. I think. And yeah. I think playing lots of sports helps that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on to a more personal level now, then Duncan, how did it come about you getting sponsorship from Caracol? And and for any of the racket athletes listening, can you give them any tips about you know if they're looking for sponsorship and how to go about it? Really. Yeah. Um, so with with, with Caracol. Um, it, it, I mean, it's, it was a lot, I forgot when I first um, signed a deal with Carol, it was quite a long time ago now, um, but the, I remember that just the, the nature of racket long with playing the four sports, playing lots of tournaments, there's a lot of, there's a, well, there's a lot of equipment involved. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and Caracol deal have got, a, you know, they, they have got a very good history within squash, increasingly in badminton and, and more recently in, in, in tennis, but they also have got fantastic um, obviously, they're also known for their grips and their sh and their socks and things like that. And it's all and I find it's actually all the little extras that Caracol have been able to offer um, have just been fantastic. So the clothing, the luggage, the, the socks, the shoes, the strings are all really, really good. Um, and it's that sort of stuff which actually um, was a big, big benefit when I started. Um, and then whilst playing with their rackets, I've obviously um, got really you know, got really used to the way that they they set their rackets up, and so the I you know I've been playing with their squash and badminton rackets now for a long, long time. 
Um, and I think compared to other brands, they're you know they're they're fantastic. So um, and they've yeah. looked after me. They've looked after me really well. Um, as far as as far as advice for sort of players looking for sponsorship, I think the best and the best advice is probably is, is you really got to think what's in it for the what's in it for the for the manufacturer for the brand. Um, yeah. Not yeah. so much what's not so much um, you know how many how many free clothes I can get from a, from a company, yeah. but you got to you got to really think about what why would a why would this company want to sponsor me and what can I offer them. Um, and it's really sort of going that extra mile as far as in these days, social media and, yeah. um, and that sort of stuff and really sort of offer them something that, that is beneficial for them. Yeah. Um, and it's that creating that relationship over a long period of time is, is, is the key thing because, you know, just within Racketlon, like I've got to a, a good level and lots of people sort of know me and speak to me. And so I'm, and because Racketlon is a game where people come into the sport and they don't have much experience in a few of the sports when they first start, there's lots of conversations amongst the players about, you know, what's the best squash racket to go and get? Because I've, I've, I've hardly ever played, um, you know, what's the best badminton racket, this sort of stuff. So there's those sorts of lots of conversations within Racketlon along those lines. And so it's actually for people like me who are sponsored by, by a brand that gives me an opportunity to sort of send people towards Caracal, which I've done yeah, yeah. quite a lot over, over the years. And, yeah, and definitely. See the benefit in that, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, moving on to more to about the events um, in a second, but yeah, so basically what you were saying there is about making sure that when you're looking for sponsorship for the viewers listening, is it's not about what you can get; it's about what the company can, you know, yeah. what you can offer them. And as you as you were saying, rightly enough, social media is prevalent now nowadays. You can, you know, yeah. um, and you know whatever you can do to help the company is going to give you an advantage. I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just can't. It's a, it's about, um, it's about creating that relationship. It's a two, it's a two way thing. You know, you need to. Yeah. Yeah, you need to really think about what you can do to help that because the, you know, the company going to support you as well as they can as much as you're able to give back to them. So, yeah, um, I see it as an absolute sort of responsibility of mine as a, as a Caracol ambassador to try and yeah. sort of push their push their brand as many ways as I can, mm-hmm. and that can be that can be from, you know, wearing their wearing their stuff in big competitions, but more probably more even more relevant is having those conversations with people about yeah. about about them as a brand, about how good their rackets are, how mm-hmm. how they make the best grips in the world, the best socks in the world, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, that's what it's all about. So moving on to mindset then, uh, Duncan, how different is your mindset to solo events and team events? Uh, with what within within racket though? Within racket, um, yeah. Um, I think that's it's probably. Uh, it's it's probably true to to say that racket lines gen is mostly a solo sport, um, similar to most other racket sports. But then yeah. you do get the opportunity a few times um, each year to play within a team. Um, and mindset wise, um, obviously the difference between playing for yourself and playing for a team is well documented. That that there are fairly obvious differences there. Whether there's definitely an added uh, well, there's an added pressure in that you're not just playing for yourself; you're playing for a team. Yeah. yeah. Um, the I person personally, I I think 
I would be right in saying, I think I play probably, my performance levels are probably better for a team than maybe for myself more consistently, just because I actually, actually find it far easier to focus because it's much more intense. There's much more pressure. You're, you're, when you're playing racket long for a team, the scoring system also is that it's not just a case that if you lose your match, you're one nil down. If you lose your match heavily, then every point in your match counts towards the overall team score. Right, okay. So it's not if you're having a if you're having a bad day in one of the sports and or and you and you end up losing the whole match. If you lose the match by ten points or thirty points, it makes a big difference to your team. Um, yeah. And so within so you can't so even so that added pressure within the team, I think has always helped me really focus. And I've always kind of felt a little bit more comfortable performance-wise, the sort of the more pressure there is, I'd say. Um, yeah. with, with solo stuff, obviously, the, 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 because you're not playing for a team, it it's, sometimes can be slightly harder to really focus um, because you're just, you're, just doing, you're kind of doing it, you're playing for yourself. Um, um, so in some ways, the mindset is slightly different, um, but I've always sort of enjoyed competition um, and I find, and that's kind of what sort of gets me up every day is yeah. the idea of competing, really. So um, my mindset within matches has generally always always been okay, um, and I've just always because I've always enjoyed competing. Then I generally I can I can be fairly switched on for matches. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think between between there's no real difference between solo and team stuff in racket long as other as as other sports. I think that the team stuff has got an added pressure, and some people react to that worse, Definitely. and some people react to it uh, better. Yeah. Yeah. So for yourself, it's a case that you you work better under pressure than Duncan. Um, I think I, I well to start with I definitely work better in a competitive environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, as in, I find it much better to focus, and so there, for within within that competitive environment, when there's added pressure or for bigger games, then I think probably, yes, I think I'm probably, I kind of react quite positively to that. Quite sharp to, the, to to that pressure, yeah. As in, I need to feel a little when I feel a few a few nerves before a match, or yeah. it, it, I, I'm definitely performing better for sure. Yeah. Um, Whereas if there's not so much on the match, then I find it probably yeah, yeah. harder to, to yeah. sort of, get to the get motivation. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so moving on to training styles now, uh, in regards to your world ranking of number nine in the world, yeah. how much have you had to adapt and adopt new training styles to get to that world ranking of number nine in the world? Um, well, I think you, I think at the at the start you, you mentioned this figure of fifteen hours a week, which is kind of probably what I was doing when I first in my first kind of five or six years in Rattlelong, yeah, um, where I was just really concentrating on training wise on table tennis and badminton, and then I was just playing league tennis and league squash, um, but mm -hmm. without doing so much training. Yeah, um, and I think for those for those first few years within Racketlon, I kind of had a bit of a five-year plan to try and get to a certain point. Um, and so I had this training regime where I play a lot of table tennis and a lot of badminton and try and keep my squash and tennis ticking along. Um, and that definitely helped up to a certain point because um, the TT and badminton improved quite quickly. 
But then what became obvious after a few years was that my levels of squash and tennis sort of was, if anything, going down um, because I hadn't been able to concentrate on them. Um, and that obviously then had to, I had to then rethink my training because that the importance of keeping your strong sports strong is, uh, is really important, particularly as the higher level you get within racket long. The thing is, everyone is improving. Everyone's doing the same thing you are. And yeah. so people that I was beating easily at squash were getting improving at squash. I wasn't training my squash. And so suddenly they were catching me up yeah. um, in, in that particular sport. And so the sort of higher level you get to, in, within the sport, the sort of the importance of yes, increasing the level of your weak sports, but you also have to um, you have to keep topping up your strong sports as well. Yeah. Um, so then I had to, to refocus my training to maybe concentrate a bit more on on the squash and tennis. Um, and I think kind of now I kind of I've got to the point where I've got the four sports to a level where um, I can now sort of adapt my training slightly, where I I can put one of the sports on the one or two of the sports on the back burner for a while and mm -hmm. concentrate on two. And when I come back to those sports, it doesn't take me long to get back to my previous level. Um, and also it's obviously injuries and things like that. It puts a big strain on the body. So um, these days I kind of, whereas in my first sort of few years of Rapidon, I was just training like 15 hours a week all day, playing loads of tournaments all year. Um, but now I kind of feel like I have to really think about what tournaments in the year I'm going to focus on to try okay. and get to the best level I can do. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the year, I can't just keep that going throughout the whole year. So I'll look at one or two, maybe two points in the year that I'll really try and focus to get to a good level at. Mm -hmm. um, and then just take breaks through the year as well, as far as the training goes. But, I, you know, I really enjoyed the sports as well. So it's not a, it's not a, that's not it's not a problem but equally yeah. i can't train as much as i did in the past because the body doesn't really deal with it so i now just try and focus on certain parts of the year where i'll sort of build up to to try yeah. and get to a good point um, to focus on those on those tournaments okay and you spoke a little bit there about injuries what yeah. sort of protocols and things do you use yourself to help reduce injuries and try and keep your body in good shape um well as I just described, like adapting my training so that I'm, yep. not, over, so I'm not overdoing it and I'm yep. giving myself enough, enough recovery time. Um, as far as um, if, I, if I have, have had a, a, you know, a specific injury, I've had a few problems with tendons in my knees and things like that, then it's about um, sort of post any operations or, or things like that, then it's just doing the rehab in the gym and just getting the, the rest of the body strong to support those, to sort of support those areas. Um, yep. And then things like yeah, at tournaments, things like nutrition and recovery and that kind of stuff, just to try and keep the body um, in one piece. Um, keep learning. You know, we talk a lot amongst the players about different things that work and don't work. And um, I think it's a continual learning thing. I think the whole sort of sports nutrition and sports rehabilitation is something that's continually changing. Um, yeah. And there's new and there's new theories and coming in all the time. Um, yeah. But just to try and stay on top of all of that is, is yeah. definitely important, particularly as I'm getting older. Um, yeah. you, have, you have to keep adapting. Yeah. So, and, and also you, you spoke about your busy schedule. Um, how do you factor in sleep then, Duncan? Obviously, you need that for optimal performance to a certain level. Yeah. So 
how do you what what sort of do you sort of sleep when you're traveling and you know take things like that or is it just like natural sleep during the night Ooh, uh, I think that I mean I don't as far as this as far as sleep is concerned I I previously used to work my work used to make half I used to travel have to travel for work all the time um, on on flights and all sorts of stuff so I've actually learned to tr to sleep whilst traveling pretty effectively in fact yeah. Yeah, kind of. If I'm being transported somewhere, whether it's in a car, a plane, or a train, I'm generally yeah. fairly good at fairly good at falling asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's so I guess that's an advantage that I've kind of learned over the yeah. years. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously, sort of, you know, at tournaments and stuff like that, then you just need to try and be sensible to give it, to get to get yourself enough to get yourself enough sleep. Definitely, it definitely makes a huge difference. Um, yeah, that I that, that I've noticed. Um, yeah. particularly if you're playing. This doesn't necessarily happen at tournaments so much, but if you're if you're playing a training, you're playing a, a squash match or something till quite late. Um, it's I often find it quite difficult to sleep um, for a few hours afterwards. Um, and I guess that's the adrenaline and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So, um, so that's definitely a bit of a challenge. Um, with it, at racket log tournaments, you can be playing. Sometimes you might have to play even three matches in a day, um, yeah. but nor normally it's a couple of matches. Um, and so you can be playing quite late and that obviously takes a big toll uh, on the body. So yeah, getting a lot, getting a lot of sleep is def it's definitely advisable. It's not always yeah. possible. No. So we're kind of getting it again in where you can basically, and obviously yeah. you sleep during the night as well, and get your... Yeah hours in there so it's just getting you know getting the naps in where you can to to help the body recover and the yeah. brain to process and yeah absolutely and um, so moving on then Duncan from that from each sport what different mindsets have you learned from each sport that you play you know the racket sports that you play or is um, there or even even asking the question is there a different mindset or is it just you know taking the mindset and using it in in each sport yeah i would say um i'd say this well first of all there's definitely a there's definitely a, a racket on mindset um but you yeah. have to be able to adopt well there's a few different mindsets actually that you have to adopt but the yeah. the most the most basic one is because of the scoring system where every point counts towards your overall score um it means that you know if you're if you're playing a, a player who's much better than you one of the sports, then every point you can get in that sport is vital. So you can't, you know, when you're when you're 18, one down at a sport, it, yeah. you, you can't be sulking. It's in you've no. got to really try and find a way to get those extra two or three points if you can, because it will make a difference overall. So that kind of mentality of chasing every point in every sport is a is yeah. definitely a, a racket long mentality. Okay. Um, sort of more. Um, kind of slightly more advanced of another key part of racket law, I think is that um, is when you're playing the four sports is is assessing what kind of mindset you have against the different players that you're playing um, because you could easily be playing um, someone who's way better than you at one sport or much or, or weaker than you at one sport and the sort of game and the sort of tactics and the sort of mindset you apply to those different situations is really key. So if you're playing a very, if, if you're playing someone who's better than you at one sport, then what they're trying to do is really control the game. Um, and so if you just try, if you don't attack enough against them, 
and you just try and you try and make them you try and sort of play the same game back to them they will just be able to control you sort of off the court or off the table yeah um, and so and so being able to attack against better players is very important and then likewise if you're better than a certain player then being able to control the game take less risk is also really important yeah um, so that's so that's like a typical sort of racket on scenario i also think actually that, that that's something that people often forget when they play racket on is that just because someone's way best than you at the sport actually it actually i I think most people would agree that when they when they play their best sport, actually they kind of feel most under pressure. Yeah. Um, because they know they have to they have to beat you to a low number. Um, yeah. And I think being able to play on that psychology that your opponent, even though they're better than you, is probably at most they're most nervous at the point they're playing their best sport. And to try, I'm always basically thinking, how am I? How can I make this player play shots they don't want to play? Yeah, particularly when they're better than you, mm -hmm. um, is like try and put them in positions where they know that the normal shot to play here would be to attack me, but they would be they're going to be slightly nervous about necessarily attacking me in this position because there's because there's risk attached to it. Yeah, um, I think I, I think that's a very that's a that's a good tactic to have against people who are better than you at sport is is to try yeah. and put them in, try and put them in positions and make them play shots that they'd rather yeah. not play. So make um, them commit, in other words, make, try and get them to commit yeah. the things that they're, they're really, they're, they're, they're thinking about it and going, oh, there's a bit of risk there, but I need to play this shot. Okay, what am I going to do? You know, I've, I mean, I've, I've, exactly. I've, you know, I've played really, really good table tennis players who are way, way better than me at table tennis. Um, and if I, if I turned up at a table tennis league match to play them, they would destroy me 3-0 without thinking about it. Um, but I've beaten them in table tennis racket long sets because they're playing with a much with this added pressure yeah. they know they have to beat me at table tennis in order to stand a chance in a match or, or, yeah. or not well they have to beat me at table tennis in order to give themselves a good chance in the match and so that, that added pressure just does very different things to people when they and you have to as a player you have to sort of really try and manipulate the games to make them play in areas or play certain shots they would rather not have to play um, that's i think the really important important yeah. aspect of racket life. Yeah, um, more personal again, Duncan, moving on from that, um, which is really good information there for the viewers. Where do you see yourself in five years from now in the racket sports arena? <laughs> um, well, that's, when I first started playing racket, I definitely had a bit of a five-year plan um, uh, to try and, because I was just starting, I needed to improve two of the sports. And so yeah. I tried, wanted to try, I'd seen what the level was of the top players. And I believe I could get there um, if I if I improved my, these two sports. So that was a, a bit of a five-year plan. Uh, these days, I definitely don't have a five-year plan. It's more of a, let's, what my, what can I do next year kind of thing? Okay. Because yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm older, there's injuries and things like that. And so yeah. Yeah. I think it's having that sort of long-term view right at this part of um, my racket on career is not really, um, it's not really viable so it's more i'm more just thinking about what sort of shape i can get into for yeah. sort of next next season and to try and make that you know what tournaments am i going to focus on next year to try yeah. and sort of do my best um mm -hmm. less of a five-year plan because i've really no idea what sort of where i'm going to be or what yeah. state my body will be in five years time yeah so actually focusing on that then duncan 
with the older viewers that are listening who are playing racket sports at the moment, yeah, what would you say would benefit them in some way to try and keep the body in a good shape and uh, try and reduce injuries then, or from your experiences? Um, think it's I think it's probably a very personal thing in that you just it, it's about list it's about listening and understanding what your body can and can't do yeah um, and that's something that I've kind of definitely learned over the years I kind of went through a period where I wasn't really getting too many injuries and then maybe the last two years I've just seemed to have picked up many more um, and so I've kind of just had to adapt um, yeah the extent the extent, the hours I'm, the hours I'm spending on court in particular, um, and really just listening to what what it takes, you know, how how sore is your body feeling after a, yeah. after a particular match, and how long do you need to recover for before you before you put yourself through that again? Um, I think all the sort of standard sort of recovery <laughs> stuff, like how much work you do, the, how much work you do in the gym, how much work. How much, you know, how much cool down you do after matches, all that kind of stuff is, is fairly easy to follow. But it really, the more general point is understanding you know, different things work for different people, I think. I think yeah. understanding how quickly you can, you can get back in court after a, after a hard game and still feel okay. Yeah. Um, and, if, and if you do find yourself suddenly playing five squash matches in a week and then at the end of the week, you pull your calf muscle, then yeah. you, you know you should probably not be playing five squash matches in a week. No. Um, so so I think it's just you know, it's, it's learning it's learning from personal experience really. Yeah. So um, in, individualized to the to the person and just listening to the body and yeah yeah you know, exactly making sure you're you're taking care of it. Yeah and yeah and learn you know don't, if you get if you get injured and then don't don't just put it down to oh I'm getting old I've just I've done this it's like you need to try and understand why you got injured yeah, there's probably yeah. there's probably going to be a reason you probably overdone it or not recovered properly or yeah, you know yeah. or something like that I'm just I'm trying to understand why those injuries are happening that's, yeah but you say I think that's a very individual thing that people need to understand yeah so going on to more like about someone who's just starting out in in any racket sport what advice would you give to them starting out in racket sports, but if they had ambitions to be world-ranked players in the future, what advice would, we, would you be giving them if they were just starting out? Um, I think if, if, they're, if they're just starting out and they haven't, they haven't had, they don't have much experience, then I would say getting coaching would be my first, would be my first bit of advice in that sport, just to try and get a basic, a basic technique and a basic understanding of Technique and foot and sort of footwork are the two kind of key things to get a foundation, get that foundation, so that they understand it. And I think that getting coaching also motivates you as well, because then you kind of understand the processes involved, and that can then motivate you to practice yourself and try and try it out. Whereas if you're kind of just going out and playing with with sort of practice partners or or lead or matches and stuff like that, then you don't really understand what's going on. Yeah, um, and you're kind of flying the wind without really understanding how how you would need to improve. But I think getting so getting that basic foundation of, of technique and footwork is really important. Um, but then having but then having got that, the other thing, rather than just continuing coaching, 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 drills, 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 I also think that um, getting out there and playing competitive matches is also really really important, particularly when you're learning. Yeah. Because the, once you've got those, once you've got the foundation, the technique and the footwork, then there's a whole nother world of 
how you actually compete and 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 play matches um because the mentality of the different matches how you how how you as a player are going to try and win points um and things like that are, you only really discover when you're in competition and playing matches um you see it quite a lot in racket run actually you see a lot of people who are learning one sport and you can see that they've had a lot of coaching and done a lot of drills but they haven't got much match awareness yeah um, which is kind of a it's kind of it's a natural thing when people are just starting out. But um, yeah. I think trying to get that match awareness is really is a really important added skill once you've got the basic the basic technique. Um, and I guess the best way to do that is to is you know find a find a lead, find a team, um, join a ladder, that kind of stuff to try and yeah. get those competitive experiences for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> So basically, in, in other words, what you're saying there is to make sure you get get the coaching, to get the technical aspects, the tactical aspects, and get the competitive experience to, to be aware of what's happening in the game and how you can adjust and and challenge your opponent to to, yeah. you know, to, to, to the match. Because and the other thing is is you know because you, you play the, the 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 types of players you play against are also completely different. Yeah, and so they're going to be challenging you, and also they're going to be doing things to you that you've never seen before in a in a in a coach in a coaching clinic or a class or yeah. that sort of stuff. And so the more different styles that you can um, expose yourself to, the the better you're going to be able to react it within a, within a match. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah, great. All right, so moving on then, Duncan to. Can you recommend any books for potential racket athletes starting their journey, whether it be a mindset book or a sport-related book? Um, so, uh, sport psychology generally, the, the 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 that whole side of sport is something I'm, I've always been really interested in, um, yeah. and it's probably one of the reasons that racket one really attracted me because of the sort of the challenges mentally that it gives you as a, as, a, as a sport. Um, so I've read lots of different sports psychology sort of books from you know from like fairly famous authors like Steve Peters and Alistair McCall and people like that. But from what I from what I can sort of gather that really even all the modern sports psychology theories and books they all from from my point of view anyway they all seem to stem from the book. It's in the night. It was out in the in the inner game of tennis. Um, right. Okay. With um, I think it was Tom, Thomas or Timothy Galway is yeah. wrote a very short, very short book called The Inner Game of Tennis, mm -hmm. and it kind of talks that talks about how how you deal with nervousness and competition and trying to keep your level at a certain at a certain point and what the what the elements are which which make that difficult. Um, yeah. And I found, and that was a really short book and I, I read it a, a, one, a long time ago and I definitely. Um, I've actually reread it a few times because I think that's just got that. Some, it kind of sums it all up, and even yeah. all the all the sort of all the modern books, you know, that the, the Steve Peters, like the Chimp Paradox, and all that. They're all kind. Yeah. It all it all kind of refers to this book, to this text, this book. I think, and so I think that yeah. for me, the one book that stands out is that is the Inner Game of Tennis for sure. Yeah, great. So, yeah, so for the viewers listening, if you're looking for any books for potential rack athletes that are starting their journey, it's The Inner Game of Tennis. That is recommended from Duncan Stahl. So. Yeah. It's not just, not just me. Yeah, it's, definitely, yeah. it's definitely a bit of a seminal book. It's like, yeah, I think, yeah. every, I think I, I've heard a lot of different people refer to that book, um, but yeah. I would agree that it's a, it's, yeah, it's a great one. 
Okay. And where can people find you, Duncan, on social media or, you know, if you have uh, a website, if they can so, reach out to you? Yeah, best best is just through Facebook. Um, um, okay. that I'm, I'm, most, I'm most active there. Um, but if equally people want to email me directly, that's also fine. Um, so it's dun duncan at dwsevents.com. Um, okay. But yes, no, um, feel free to come and say hello on Facebook for sure. Great. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Duncan. All good. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, it's another episode of the Racket Athlete podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening and please leave a review.